What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. If you are tuning in for the first time, my name is CJ, and I want to personally thank you for giving the show some of your attention. If you are a return listener, you are literally keeping my dream alive, and I am forever grateful for you. This episode features one of my newest friends here in Austin, Mr. Noah Heisman, and even though we just met, it feels like we've known each other our entire lives. A collegiate athlete turned startup attorney, Noah has a passion for pushing himself to be a better person, athlete, and expert in his field. One of the tools he has used to continue his pursuit of constant improvement is stoicism. This is a topic I was vaguely familiar with prior to the show, but I was really excited to dive even deeper into the meaning and purpose behind it all during our conversation. For this episode, I decided to try something different and just have a back and forth combo about stoicism and other things in life that Noah and I are progressing towards. So be prepared for some longer form storytelling and deep conversation. As always, I'd love to connect with you outside the show and hear your thoughts. But until you make that happen, let's give our attention to our guest, Noah Heisman. What is up, fam? CJ Finley here, back with the Thrive on Life podcast. It's Friday. My buddy Noah here just opened his first, how do you say it? Dude, I was going to ask you, uh, Pomple, Pomple Moose? Pomple Moose LaCroix, LaCroix. I don't know what the actual, how do you actually say this? Um, but he was looking for something sparkly, so we gave that to him. And today's episode is going to be a little bit more conversational than what you might be used to if you've listened to one of our past and previous episodes. It's something I've been wanting to do for a while and Noah's new here to Austin, Texas, and we always have like really, really good conversations, whether it's at the gym, during ice baths, during breath work with your buddy from Minneapolis, whatever it is, we always seem to get into a good conversation. And I just had the idea that I want to share some of these conversations with other people out there. So welcome to the Thriving Life Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on, CJ. And uh I would be remiss if I didn't um, immediately start this podcast with just a thank you once again. For anybody that doesn't know CJ or is unfamiliar or knows me but doesn't know CJ, um, an absolutely incredible human being. Uh, The very first thing I did when I got here to Austin was drove in from Minneapolis and rolled right into a uh, Squatch group fitness class that (laughs) CJ was leading and ended up spending like five hours at Squatch that day. And like that was the day when I was like, oh, I can't just stay here for a month. And then um, I remember that night, uh, I think it was that night and you like texted me and we're like, hey, if you're not doing anything, come over for dinner. Like that was like, oh, this dude is a real deal. So I'm just grateful to be in your blast radius. Oh yeah, man. I mean, it's one of those things that I know what it's like to get to a new place and not know a single person. And one of the things that I think just has always happened to me, and I don't know why the story is coming out of my head, but one year we went, we we traveled during Thanksgiving for Aaron to run a half marathon and we flew into Seattle and it, like, we don't know anybody in Seattle. Yeah. Um, we flew in and we flew in Thanksgiving morning. And we're like, we have no clue where we're going to eat, what we're going to do. 
And we end up in this diner eating Thanksgiving dinner in a diner like midday. And we meet people from Australia, like Vancouver, just kind of like misfits that just had nowhere else to go. And it's one of those things that if you land in a new place and you're willing to just put yourself out there, usually the best things in life happen. So I try to be on the opposite end of that. And because it's happened to me, give that to other people because I know what it I know what it's like. It's like kind of a scary thing. You're driving in and you're just like, I don't know what to expect of this place. Um, and then also you get connected with me and it's just like, I'll ask you this. It's kind of weird getting connected with people because I, I do it so often. You get connected with the person and you're like, is this person really want to be connected with me? Or like, is it just random or things like that? So I'll actually flip this question on you a little bit is what were your thoughts when you first were like coming here? What was, what was the things going through your mind when you're driving into Austin? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure you understand the, the length of the thread you just pulled, um, <laughs> because it's going to lead us down a rabbit hole. We got time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but so, you know, people pick words for years and be like, Oh, my word of the year is blank in mine. I, I don't really know how to describe it in one word. I just, would say explore was my word. But what that really translates to is like, I have to tell a story first in order to explain it. So we'll talk about this more when we get into my obsession with stoicism and just like the pursuit of wisdom generally. But there's this story of Socrates and basically like in ancient Greece, Socrates, you know, he's known Socratic method. He's known for questioning everybody and making people like look hard at themselves and their habits and what they stand for. So before you go deep down this rabbit okay. hole, for those that don't know what Socratic method is, can you just describe that? Because I've, I am familiar with it yeah. and it's pretty powerful, but can you just give a rundown of what that actually means? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but so my background is I went to law school in Minneapolis and I'm a lawyer now. And so one of the things that the primary method of teaching in law school is the Socratic method. And it's the way of, like, if you were to ask a professor a question, they would answer with another question. And so it's this way of, like, asking probing questions to get you, the person, to come to your own conclusion. So instead of having somebody tell you what the answer is, you simply ask a question. Somebody would be like, I don't know what to do with my life. And then you say, hmm, what do you like to do? And so it's that battle back and forth of like, you don't actually ever supply an answer. You get them to supply their own answer through a pointed and targeted question. Awesome. Um, and so that's one of the invaluable things that you hear in law school. People will say like, oh, it taught me how to think. You'll hear a lot of people describe the value of law school that way. And I, and I would back that up 100%. But to go back and pick the thread back up. So in ancient Greece, Socrates would introduce, make these people take long, hard looks at themselves. And people don't generally like to be questioned and take long, hard looks at themselves. And so the crime that Socrates was charged with was bringing foreign gods into Greece and, and effectively challenging the status quo is like when it boiled down to it. And so they were going to put him to death. Socrates knew they were going to put him to death and he had every, op every opportunity to kind of flee Greece, but he decided not to. He decided to go in front of the court and effectively willingly decide to go to death because he was standing up with what he stood for. Now, when he was asked about why he did this, you know, you were given the chance to flee. Why didn't you run when you had the chance? Like, why did you choose to die for this thing? And his response was effectively, I have this voice in my head 
We call it now a conscience. And I have made it my life goal. When that voice speaks up and tells me not to do something, I don't do it. When I thought about running and the voice in my head says, no, stand up for this because you know this is right. He followed that voice. Now what that voice is, and this is, this is such a long story, but I promise it all makes sense. No, man, you're good. This yeah. is what podcasts are for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'm obsessed with like ancient mythology and like Roman and Greek culture and stories generally. And so in, in ancient Greece, they called it a daemon, spelled D-A-I-M-O-N. And so my word actually is, I don't even know how you pronounce it, but I think it's eudaemonia. Anyway, it means it means alignment with your inner spirit. So like if I could have a word, it would be that. This idea that the Greeks called it a daemon, the Romans called it a muse, the ancient East called it a genie. And the same idea applied that you had this inner spirit assigned to you at birth that guided you toward your calling. And so if you made room and you made space to listen to this voice, it kind of guided you. And that was it. like, muses was all about art. So it was like, if, you've, if you're somebody that likes to write like I do, you've ever had this experience of feeling as if you were simply a messenger and not a creator, that there was something you were grabbing out of the air and letting flow through you into onto the paper. That's the idea of like the muse coming through you or the daemon coming through you or like the genie or God, whatever you want to call it. And so it's this idea that there is a spirit, each of us have a spirit that's assigned to us at birth that kind of guides us and calls to us. And so that was my, I decided that 2021 was going to be the year where I follow that voice uh, to the extent I'm able to discern it. And so I had had this voice in my head that like, I'm a believer that when you ignore it, there's a sort of scratching and clawing at the back of your conscience that won't go away. And this sort of restlessness of spirit that causes a metastasization that unless you address it, it's going to continue to sort of like claw at you, the back of your head. So I was like, you know what? 2021 is going to be the year where I follow that voice. The voice led me to Austin. And so I didn't know what to expect, but I knew that I had like an open heart and an open mind. And I was just going to listen to where the voice called. And so when Andy shout out Dr. Andy in Minneapolis and shout out Ron for both rocking around. Yeah. I knew that I was like coming into Austin with this mentality of like, I'm just going to say yes to life and I'm going to say yes to the muse. Like this, this thing, like to the extent I'm able to discern what it's telling me to do, I'm going to stop ignoring it because I've been doing that too much in my life. And ultimately what it's caused is me to get to this situation where I feel stuck I feel like I'm not the person I could be. And I was like, I need to take steps towards resolving that tension in my soul. And how I did it was to live in devotion to that voice in my head, which is a very long answer to your question. Uh, but that's how I came into it. I came into Austin with that mentality. No, but like what, what, you, what you did right there was something that I try to convey to other people, which is like the golden ticket to a meaningful life is Mitch mixing your passion with your purpose. And for you, like you're passionate about stoicism and about mythology and all these stories, right? And you're on this pursuit of finding your true purpose. So the first like a way to unlock that golden ticket, if we're going to do Charlie and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> here. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Is the way to unlock that golden ticket is first like 
what the hell are you passionate about? And like lean more into that, right? People think that you find your purpose by just sitting around like thinking about it. It's like, no, you follow what that, that voice that you're saying, that thing that's clawing at your head. And then eventually your purpose just like falls on your lap because you're like, oh, this is what I'm really good at. This is what I love to do. And I see this like path that I can now go down versus a lot of people I think get stuck. And if you're listening to this, like if you're stuck in a job, if you're stuck in a relationship, if you're stuck not knowing what hobbies you like, like the way through is just through. Like you have to just go and follow that passion first and then the purpose starts kicking in. And like for me, like it's funny because fuel your passion, you're you're sitting right below it, right? I put that there as a reminder every day to continue to just lean into my passions because once you do get going, then it honestly gets harder because you start seeing all these paths that you could go down and you're like, shit, like (laughs) now that I actually have some success, I could go all these different ways. Which way do I go? And then I always just come back to which one of these ways are you most passionate about? So like for you, you have the stoicism. I would love to learn what actually started because I haven't asked you any of these questions. Like what started and when did you start looking into these stories and looking to Socrates and yeah. Aurelius and all these people as a guide to your own life? Yeah. Uh, before we go there, it's two, two, I want to close the loop. I don't like open loops <laughs> in my brain. Lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Must be a lawyer or something. <laughs> no, but um, the two ones, just picking up things that you just touched on of when I first started this journey, uh, the journey of like, okay, how do I even start to live you mentioned mixing. Uh, I can't remember the exact language you you used, but um, one of the favorite ways I've ever heard it put, shout out Meredith in Scaling Within, is basically how you spend your day should be an outflow of who you are. And so I think it's the same exact thing of like at your core, like who you are, uh, how you spend your day should be an outflow of that. Like um, who you are is predicated on your actions, not what you say. Like if, yeah. whatever I'm pouring out, that's who you see, that's who, you see who I am as a human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what I mean. It, to, to the extent that your actions don't line up with who you are or who yeah. you claim to be, then that's what creates this tension in yeah. your spirit. And so it is bringing them back into alignment and like synchronicity. Um, that's one thing I wanted to say. The other thing is like just to give an example of like when I talk about being obsessed with like myths and legends and like, how it all fits together and like how people can think about it, how there's this ancient wisdom like hidden in plain sight. So this Aladdin, everybody's seen the Disney movie Aladdin. Not everybody, most people, right? And so I mentioned that in, in the ancient East, it was called the genie, right? The thing that was assigned to you at birth. Well, we think about the story of Aladdin. What happens at the very end? He lets the genie free, right? And when he lets that genie free, it's because the whole entire movie, he spent pretending to be somebody he wasn't, pretending to be a prince. And that genie stayed in the bottle that inner spirit stayed in the bottle. It stayed in the lamp. And it wasn't until the end, till he took off that mask, that he let the genie loose. It was no longer shackled in the lamp. And so it's like, just as the genie became loose, like that's when he was like his most authentic self. And so like, there's this symbolism going on there that's hidden in plain sight until you like start to unpack it. And so it's like, that's like one of those things where I just think about that, letting that genie loose and like, how, how am I, shoving it back in the lamp and like causing it to turn into an evil, an evil <laughs> Yeah. Know? Cause you're basically you withholding what you really want to do with your life. That's, yeah. That's what I feel like if you just 
and I'm going to ask if you're listening to this, like literally walk, just walk around the grocery store, go for a walk in the park and look at how many people, like I want, I want you to count in an, on your hand, like how many people just naturally look happy and as <laughs> if they're like in the present moment, yeah. excited to be where they're at. And once you, once I started looking at life like that, I, that's where Thrive on Life started. It's just like, wow, like this is really depressing. Like we live, this is the greatest time and people, people will come at me for saying, no, well this and no, well that, what, but the reality is like, there's less starving people. There's more people with water. Like people have electricity. We just lost it here in Texas. So we know how like, wow, we are very privileged. Like this is the most privileged time. Like I can talk to someone right now. We have cameras coming up. We have three looking at us right now. Like, (laughs) and they're not like, I'm not rich. So it's like for me to have access to these things is like, there's never been a time where if you're middle class, you can really truly thrive if you choose to. Um, And hopefully we continue to break barriers and bring more people into that. And that's where Thrive on Life started. But a lot of people, I don't know what this is and where this fits in like stoicism. A lot of people, like if they're in the present moment, they don't realize how great we actually have it. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people's genie in that bottle is one of the reasons is just like gratitude that, wow, like I'm alive and I have this capability to create things, to write things, to yeah. to learn, to connect with other people. And I think if people just viewed life like that, rather the, the scarcity mindset of like, it seems like the human existence is whatever time frame you're in, you always think is the worst time frame. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, but it's not in the rea- yeah. in the long term scheme of things. Where I don't know because I don't know much about stoicism. But when I lean into those things, when I lean into the quotes and the stories, a lot of it is to just inspire presence, being present, and that gratitude of like, wow, like we've come a really long way, and I want to be the inspiration to making people realize. That, but I want to go back to the question. Yeah. I'm not letting you get away. No, with we this, will. We will. The, of but where this started, <laughs> like, like, yeah, because yeah, I just started. Yeah, I yeah. just started like learning more about this now. But like, it seems like you you have a, a breadth of knowledge in it. So that means you've been looking at it for for quite some time now, and it's like a it's a trendy thing now. But it, yeah. to me, it sounds like you've been at it way before a trend. Yeah, um, I promise you, we'll get to it. That last point I'll make is it's funny. I mean, it fits together because I think that I love stoicism, but there are problems with it. And I think of one, one of the things that it lacks is giving direction. So stoicism is, Tim Ferriss will call it, an ideal operating system for high-stress environments. He says that over and over again. But it tells you very little of what direction you should take other than live according to nature. And so I don't want to lose this, but how I started to identify the things that were the most meaningful to me is I think one of the most powerful signals if you witness yourself and just start to realize what things give you chills. Like to me, that's the universe like reaching down and touching your spirit. Like that is the thing. Like if you just watch what things give you chills, there's something there to be explored. There's something there calling you that you need to pay attention and spend a little more time on. For anybody that hasn't seen the movie Soul, this is kind of what it's about to me, is it's like, how do you spend more time in the timeless? We live in this time-bound body, and it's exactly what you're talking about, where we get so wrapped up in the here and now, where it's like, 
it's this constant interplay between the finite and the infinite. We have these like finite bodies, but I believe that we're infinite souls. And so it's like this idea that we have this infinite soul encased in a finite body. And it's like, how do we, how do we live more toward the timeless? How do we do something timeless? It's like, what are the things that make us lose track of time? Podcast is a great one. Like, Time flies when you're doing a podcast. Pretty good signal that you're on the right track. Time flies when I'm writing. Pretty good signal that I'm on the right track. For like, you know, whatever else you like when I'm working. Sports, man. I mean, sports are yeah, huge. sports is another one. Piano is another one for me. Like, piano is something that I will never do for money because I'm not good enough, but I love it. And it's so it's karaoke, like, <laughs> which you're about to get a karaoke machine. <laughs> uh, my, um, what's your go to karaoke song? Oh, man, anything Blink-182. Wait, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> Dude, first CD I ever got, total sidebar, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket from, from Blink-182 <laughs> when I was, like, in sixth grade. CD, I had a white CD player, and, like, I would jam out to that. Like, Aaron's sitting right here right now. Yeah. Like, her, myself, and our friend Brielle would, like, write lyrics back to each other of all the different songs of different yeah. bands that we were listening to on our CDs. Man, that was such a different that's different fine. time. But, like, yeah, that's the shit that... Mine is, uh, mine's, mine's lean on me. And the reason it is, is like that apparently that was like the first karaoke song <laughs> that my dad sang to my mom on like a date, like way back when. Um, and so then I, I like sang it in, in Mexico on a family vacation. And since then it's been my like go-to karaoke song. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's a great one. I, I would say that, or like, I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So like some yeah. of the songs there. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Noah. I hope you are loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Noah Heisman. I'm going to answer your question. Stoicism. So I'm going to go back to like growing up. So to give a little background on why I just started to learn to love to read and write because it kind of starts there. So my Genesis story is like, I'm the youngest of three. Long before I was born, my parents and my brother and sister, our house burned down. We lost everything in a fire. And I still have the screenshot of the newspaper clipping in my phone to this day that I look at all the time describing how we lost everything and effectively asking people to help to be generous. 
and we don't have to talk about this right now, but it's also why I'm so obsessed with the mythical Phoenix of like being a child of the ashes, like born from the ashes. Sidebar, I was going to get a Phoenix tattoo. I just never got around to it. Yeah. Maybe uh, someday. Yeah. And so something that inspires me to this day, there's an Einstein quote of to give in the capacity I have received and continue to receive because everything I had growing up was based on the generosity of other people and their donations to our family and the sacrifices of my parents. We didn't have a lot. My parents were so poor that they effectively like got paid to live in this income-based housing. And so my mom, like growing up, obviously, my parents would say no to a lot of things that a kid asked for. The one thing she never said no to was books. Whenever we were in Barnes & Noble, that was the one thing she always let me get. So she fed that part of me. And I felt like books were my refuge. Like they were the thing I fled to and I fell in love with words. And so, I mean, that's ultimately why I'm now on the board of this nonprofit, the Village Book Builders. What we do is we build libraries in third world countries and then set up mentorships with folks back in the States and then set up video meetings and just all about lighting up the word through world through words and like inspiring people and giving people the access. But anyway, and so my mom kind of, used to like feed this reader in me. And I remember when I was, when I turned 18, my parents gave me the gift of the sword of Solomon like from the Bible, the author of Proverbs. And she gave me this book called the richest man who ever lived. And it was basically a rundown of Proverbs, uh, which is like, you know, one of the wisdom books of the Bible. And I remember going through that and I just absolutely loved it. And I still have the sword to this day next to my bed. The Sword of Solomon. But basically, fast forward, I kind of I read that, loved it, put it aside, go through college, play football in college, decide at the very end of college that I'm going to go to law school. When I decided I was going to go to law school, I talked to one of my professors, and I was like, what's something I can do to like get me ready for law school? And he goes, read dense material, because that's what you're going to have to read in law school. I go, okay, what does that look like? He goes, well, my favorite book is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. So here I am, the semester I have between when I was done with football and when I started law school. So this would have been 2013. And I still have, again, this is what started me screenshotting pages of books on my phone. I was literally just scrolling through it and I have screenshots that I've pulled through from 2013 of meditations in my phone. So I remember I would just go on the porch and I would read that. And it felt like I was taking pictures every page. And I was like, this stuff is so phenomenal. It's so good. And it felt like, because meditation specifically, I'm going to stay on Marcus Aurelius, meditation specifically was never meant to be published to the world. It was only ever meant to be this journal of who was at the time the most powerful person in the world. And that's why I love it. It's because here you have Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, Literally the power over life and death of, of everybody. He could have anything you want. He could have women, wine, anything. He could indulge every vice, every whim that he ever wanted to. But instead, you read this meditation journal. All he cared about was being a good person. He could have anything he wanted in the world. And he has just entry after entry after entry. Reminders of like to remain humble, reminders that like the pain you feel now will soon pass. Reminders of, hey, control what you can control and let the rest go. Reminders of like just 
try to be a good person. One of his favorite things, um, the best revenge is to not be like them. Absolutely one of my favorite lines of all time and one I've used over and over again. If ever there's somebody that slights you, this idea that you should be better than the things that hurt you and that's how you heal the world, right? Instead of like contributing to this tear and continuing to tear it more, it's like how do you stitch the universe back up? Is you aim to be better than the things that hurt you? It's like line after line of all of these things that I fell in love with and it felt like, man, if I could write something one day, I would like this is what I would want it to be. And then it's the idea that like he didn't write it for anybody else, but it turns out to be one of the greatest gifts to eternity is like this private meditation journey that he didn't do for status. And one of my other favorite lines that's like a, an indictment is like, stop talking about what it takes to be a good person and be one. And so it's just like, he was so hard on himself, right? Because he wasn't talking to anybody else but himself. He was his biggest critic and all he cared about was being a good person. And so that was my introduction to stoicism. And I read it with the purpose of going to like reading hard things to go to law school. So I had that stuff kind of like stirring in the back of my head, my head, like all throughout law school. And then I ran into this guy, William Blackstone, not a stoic, but he wrote the commentaries on the English law. I'm not going to spend too much time here, but basically a little background on our legal system is it's based on like the English common law. England doesn't have a written constitution. And so nobody knew exactly what it meant, how they interpret the laws is that over time, the courts would effectively be like, oh, this is what the law is, but it's not written anywhere. It's not a constitution. It's not written a constitution. And so it wasn't until William Blackstone, this guy who's on the House of Lords, said, okay, I'm going to write what I think. If we were to like write the rules that people are living by, this is what I'm going to write. This is like, this is, uh, that's what I'm going to write. So he wrote those commentaries on the English law. He's got this line in there uh, and it's, it's um, effectively, we all see the contrary now in our own experience um, that we are all corrupted by our own bias. And so it's this idea that like, no matter how hard we try, we only ever hold a piece of the truth. That if we are together on this combined excavation project to uncover the truth, we need other people for their pieces that they hold that we won't ever hold without them. And so I remember like, I remember reading that and it reminded me of some of the stuff that Marcus says about just this recognition of like own personal failings and how ultimately we need each other. It's like interconnectedness. And so it was like a little reminder. And then I go through law school and throughout law school, I had set up my apartment so that I was kind of just like surrounded by quotes. And of course, one of the quotes, one of my favorite Marcus Aurelius ones is this idea that everybody seeks retreat in the hills. Everybody seeks retreat elsewhere. And he's like, (laughs) again, because he's like critiquing himself. He's like, you know, I always think that I can find peace elsewhere. How unphilosophic of me when I can find peace whenever I want it in my own mind. And he's like, so if I can have principles that I hold in my head that are few and fundamental, sufficient at one meeting to wash away the pain, but before I have to go back to life and like its problems, that is what I call the Oasis. And so that's the inspiration behind the podcast that I have, The Oasis Project, and then also the blog I started called the Oasis, but it's spelled O-A-S-Y-S-S. It's a combination of the words oasis and abyss. It was this idea that like 
there's all these things I've heard in my life, like all these ideas I've heard, these fantastic things. Why do I always forget them? I have everything I need to succeed. I just don't remember them. And so I, that's when I was like, how do I develop this system of reminders of things I want to hold dear and keep close so I can draw on them when I need them? And basically, kind of slowly over time, it was I started reading like the Letters to Lucilius of Seneca, the Handbook of Epictetus, and then like modern Victor Frankl's like Man's Search for Meeting. And then what I started to realize is that like, I come from a very Christian household. And so I was very familiar with like the stories of the Bible. And I started to notice this parallel of like, when I went back to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, it's effectively, it seems like Marcus Aurelius could have written it. It is saying the exact same thing about how everything is hevel. Hevel means smoke. So everything basically comes into existence. The ceaseless passage of time makes eternity ever young. That's one of Marcus's quotes. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes says effectively the same thing of like, your anxiety comes from your attachment to this world, but you forget that it all is fleeting. It all comes in and goes. And so it's like, you know, spend that time meaningfully, but also let go of this stress and anxiety because we are only it's a small really all meaningless. blip on the, like, if you think about the expanses of the universe and like how insignificant we are, you know, but at the same time, we are in we are so insignificant but we are so powerful and that's the weird piece of it because it's like the forces we are able to set in motion with our existence we know not the full effects of that but also it's like if you start feeling a little too full of yourself you need to remind yourself i can't remember the exact words that marcus used but basically like how little we are in this boundless abyss and that was his own personal reminder of like, here you have the most powerful person in the world being like, dude. He still doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's just so cool. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, it's it's something that, um, especially like Seneca and Marcus, I mean, Epictetus is the same way too. But the thing I love is it's so practical. Cliches we've talked about this before, but the problem with cliches is they always run the risk of going in one ear and out the other. And so if you're going to say a cliche to somebody, then immediately they kind of have their guard up and they just let it slip by without absorbing it. But the Stoics, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, and Epictetus had this way of expressing these timeless truths in a way that got you to absorb them and absorb them in a way that you could apply them to your real life. And so that's where like, I mean, it changed my life. When I started making decisions in pursuit of the muse, like I talked about earlier, specifically there's there's a line in Proverbs that is paralleled by something that Epictetus and Marcus and then the Stoics say. And the line in Proverbs is, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is the tree of life. Seneca says, fool for all his faults has this also. He's always getting ready to live. There's a line in Game of Thrones that there's forever and tomorrow. Anyway, it's all saying the same thing. And it was this idea that like I realized that in my own life I had been the verse of Proverbs says hope deferred, but I like to think of it more like life or dreams deferred. And so this idea that we think we have time, like we think that we'll chase our dream when. You know, I, I will write a book, but not just not now. You know, I will start playing piano, but 
now's not the right time. And so it's like we keep deferring these things that we say we want to do, and slowly it steals little slivers of our soul until eventually one day we come to find that we have nothing left. And so it's like this idea of I just I knew where my path was headed as I continued to defer my dreams, and I just refused to do it anymore. One of my favorite lines of uh, Seneca's, this kind of goes back to this devotion to the muse, thing of it's nothing except the soul is worthy of wonder and so he he delivers that line in the context of you know it's the superfluous things for which we sweat it's another thing he says so this idea that we spend our life toiling towards the accumulation of these things that ultimately leave us empty they don't make us happy we spend and that's how we spend our time and then we wonder why we're empty and so he's like remind yourself that nothing except the soul is worthy of wonder Every attachment that you gain in this material world weighs your soul down. And so the idea is that like, your pursuit should be to chip away the excess around your soul, not accumulate more crust. And that's like, the problem is, is that that's where I had been doing most of my life is because this carrot gets held out in front of you of like, work hard, get good grades, get into a good college, earn a scholarship, graduate top of your class so you can get into a big firm and get a good job. And then it's like you get in the big firm and then it's like you stop. I mean, this is a t- you hear so many people tell the same story. Like you get to the top of that mountain and you're like, this sucks. I don't even think you know that part about me. Like I got a full ride for, for, for academic. Yeah. Most people think it's, it's for sports. Yeah. Um, got, the, got the good grades. I, I was a scholar athlete coming out of high school. Um, got a scholarship going to college. Did five years. Got got a great job, high paying job, and then it's just like right away, I like, I knew that something was off, and I don't want to downplay everything you just said. That was like I, I can't wait to re listen to this and like write notes on it. And I hope other people have their notebooks out right now because there's so much to unpack of everything that you just talked about. But I remember specifically, and you're talking about the sliver, and I'm gonna give a practical story here. The first job I had was at UBS Wealth Management. And it's a global company, global bank, and I was in project management in IT. And they sent 22 to 23-year-old kids for six weeks over to Switzerland, where that's where the bank was originated. And we were there to basically build an app and then present to the CIO. Um, And they do it every year. It's called a graduate training program. And this was the first year that they sent people to Switzerland. They usually come to America. Um, but for some reason we got to go to this beautiful place in Switzerland with, I mean, it it was the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I'll just leave it at that. And we got, I got food the whole time. I got free drinks. The hotel had a bowling alley in it. Like it was like, if it's on a five star scale, it was like seven stars. Like it was, (laughs) I could not believe like, holy shit, this is my life. The problem was I didn't even want to be there. Yeah. I'm like, I'm seeing all this. And I was just like, this isn't right. Like the reason I'm here isn't right. Like what I'm doing here isn't right. Like if I want to be here, I want to be here on my own terms of like, um, I wanted to go helicopter skydiving when I was there. No one wanted to do it with me. Like some of the things I wanted to do is like nobody wants to do. So then I just end up doing what what everybody else wants to do. And then everybody else is like really jazzed up to be there, which the reality of it was we're working 10 to 12 hour days in the same room all day. And then we get a little bit of time at after hours to like go explore. And then we get the weekends to go explore. And I'm sitting in there in this room and I'm just like, what? 
the hell are we all doing? Like there's 60 of us in this boardroom and there's so much out there, yet we're in here. We, we are literally putting ourselves in a cage. Why? Why are we doing this for, for this app to, to make? It was, and literally the app was a trading bot system where we basically, it was kind of cool because I like education and like it was basically to help people learn how to trade, but with fake money. So we're building something that's rather cool, but I'm just like, this is all made up. Like, why are we like everything that I want to know is all out there. And that's when I knew immediately, like this was chipping away at my soul because it's just like everyone around me and the world wants me to be happy for this moment. And everyone's like, congrats on this. And, and like inside, I was just like, this is, this is wrong. This, I, I shouldn't be here. Somebody else should be in my shoes. And lo and behold, I was the first person to leave that program like seven, seven months later. I was, a, it was a two year thing, two year stint. And I, I made it, I think 10 months. Um, but the reason I'm telling that story is because what I've never heard anybody talk about, like the sliver of your soul, like it chipping away. And I never really realized it until that moment. And I think for me, it was because you are in the, that was the first moment where like, there's no more carrots. Like I got the job and they sent me here and I start having the ability to just like make any decision I ever want. And I'm sitting here in Switzerland thinking, and I, I remember talking to Aaron on FaceTime and just being like, yeah, this is really beautiful, but like meaningless at the same time. And I couldn't ever put my finger on it until like now, like of what was actually happening inside me. And I think anybody that's listening really needs to think like in any given moment, and now I will do this moving forward, is we all know, we know that feeling of like this thing is like chipping away at us. And growing up, I never did anything about it. I just like, and that's why I think I turned to alcohol, drugs, burning my burning myself to the ground by like yeah. just overworking, overexhausting myself, overdoing it um, because I wanted to feel something and feel alive. Yeah. And you don't like nowadays, like me feeling alive is waking up and meditating. <laughs> like yeah. It's so reverse yeah. compared to how it used to be. Yeah. I mean, so I'm going to go back to what I was talking about earlier of like having this thing that scratches and claws and screeches in the back of your head. And the only way that you can get rid of that voice is distracting it through whatever your coping mechanism is. And so that's why I would turn to alcohol too. Um, you know, it's like alcohol or I would just bury myself in more work. Just whatever I had to do to distract myself from this voice in the back of my head, the voice that Socrates devoted his life to that was the thing i was drowning out realizing that like it was the divine spark inside me that i was stifling it's like the thing you want to listen to the most and that's the thing you're drowning out that was what made it flip for me and i think i mentioned this yesterday it was like but the hard part is like you have to accelerate the pain and realize like because you know if this thing if you thing is compromising a piece of you and making you smaller and making you settle but it's very hard to tangibly feel that feeling unless you know what's going on. And so it's like, if you know where it's going, like accelerate, make sure that it isn't when you're 60 that you feel the full effect of what you've done the last 30 years of and your life. You hit, some, you hit on something last night where we, we were talking about telling people no. And I think people, because I think that's the key, is like saying no to things. Like as yeah. soon as you feel that 
chipping away at the soul. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Or no, I'm not showing yeah. up this. And I think that people's biggest problem with saying no, because I thought about this after our discussion, was they can't say no to themselves. So how do they even say no to other people? Like, yeah. how do we can't even say no to ourselves to indulge, overindulge, because we don't want the pain. So then it becomes a problem. We can't say no to anybody else because we can't even say no to ourselves. So I started real, realizing as soon as I start say, I got better at saying no to other people and, and things that would come up in my environment the moment that I started saying no to the things that were my vices. So as soon as I said, no, I'm not going to drink tonight. No, I'm, I'm not going to overwork. No, I'm going to not hang out with that person because it's not good for me. Yeah. That's when it got easier to be like, no, nope, not answering that email. No, nope, not taking that yeah. project on. No, nope, not doing that. Sorry. So, yeah. That's, that's where I go back. I, like the book that I've now started writing about effectively trying to write this book that provides life's missing instruction manual. But anyway, the first chapter is going to be nothing except the soul is worthy of wonder. And the, the, like the thought exercise that I like started to go through is like, once you start to figure out what that thing is, like what the core of you is, like what your soul is and like what calls to you and speaks to you. And then you like, you can hold it up here. And then you start just looking at the pieces of your life and you just pick one up and you hold it up to the light of this core, some of that stuff's going to dissolve. And like if it dissolves, if it can't withstand the light of who you are, then you have to let it go. Like that's the stuff you say no to. Is like if you hold it up to that and it withers away, that's the stuff you got to say no to. And like that's what it should be measured against. Like everything should be measured against the core of who you are. And if it doesn't stand up to it, it's not it's – not, you just worthy of it. I, what I just thought of when you do that is just like you have these things that you do, and it's like it turns into like dust, right? Yeah. And a lot of people just let the dust consume them rather than just letting the dust blow away. It's just like you, and it goes back to tying it all the way to what I was saying that like most people don't realize how great of a time frame we're living in because of all the dust just clouding their yeah. entire lives. Like you go on social media and you would act like the world is burning down. But if you just go outside in the sun and like take a deep <laughs> breath and yeah. realize, wow, I can yeah. call, I can, I can literally, my, my parents just moved to Charlotte. I can get on my phone and see my mom's face from a thousand miles away. Yeah. Like how fucking cool is that? <laughs> yeah. But most people aren't, aren't utilizing the tools in the right way. Yeah. And I think the reason that most people don't utilize the tools in the right way is they've never really took the time to, like you say, look into their own soul and be like, why the hell am I even here on this earth? Yeah. And when you realize like why you're here on this earth and what the point of your own life is, because the yeah. point of your life is to make up the point of your life, um, you then, you don't get bogged down in the dust of everything that's like yeah. literally the storm that society, the internet, everything is trying to throw on top of you. Yeah, the, something you just said about not wanting to look at your own soul, um, I just want to, I want to stay there for a second. I mean, one that hyperlinks back to what we were talking about with like the Socratic method of like ultimately why Socrates was put to death is because people didn't like him asking those questions and like holding the mirror up. But there's a Nietzsche quote. It's basically like if you look long enough into the abyss, the abyss looks back at you. And so it's, it is this idea that like if you look into the darkest parts of like who you really are at your core and how you aren't living up to this image you've built of yourself, of like your selflessness. Like nobody wants to realize how selfish they actually are. But until you do that, like you're not going to actually change because you build up this image of like, oh no, I'm a good person. 
And so my blog, Oasis, the reason I spelled it combining Oasis and Abyss is because I always want the personal reminder to look at the things that are hardest to look at, like to try to take the planks out of my own eye before I see them in anybody else's because ultimately there's an infinite amount of internal work to do. But it all starts with this ability to like hold the mirror up and look at how am I caring more about being seen to do things than actually doing things. So I also love Latin. One of my favorite Latin phrases is essay quam with dairy. It means to be rather than to seem. And I think in an age of social media, it's been huge for me. Of It's like, this is a, so weird. It's such a weird way to say it. And I always feel weird saying it out loud. But it's like, I always hope I'm better in real life. Okay. So to that point, you met me because social media, yeah. pretty much. The number one, like based on social media, like in the social media world, one of the best compliments I've ever gotten was you are just like you are like in in real life is how you show up. And I never would have thought that like someone said that to me Yeah, and I was just like, this is what my response back to them was. It would be too exhausting to be anybody but myself. And I, I don't understand how people literally do. I, I don't know how famous people put on a face or put on this or that or whatever, because it's too exhausting. Like it's so much easier to just show you the shit of me and then show you the good of me and then show you the in between gray areas. Like, I'm just me. And to be honest, like that's what unlocked the next level of my life was I'm not afraid to be on audio, on video, like out and about, whatever, like, because I know in my core, in the soul that I'm just trying to be the best me and a a good person, just like you were talking about earlier. And when you know that, when you know that you're just trying to be the best you, well, the best you looks into the mirror at the worst you. So even when I'm trying to be the best me, like, I'm still not always going to be the best husband to my wife. I'm not always going to be the best father to my future kids. I'm not always going to be the best friend to my friends, best business partner. I'm going to make mistakes. But the best you is the one that looks at the worst you and says, how do I just get that better? Mm. And that's where most people really, really, we don't learn it, one. Because in school, it's like, study for this test, forget about the test, move to the next thing. You never really examine anything. It's always face level things. So when you're in an education system, you then go home where your parents are just, most parents in the middle class are just trying to work to survive to get their kids to the next level. They don't have time to really look deep into things because they're just trying to survive. And when you get into this world where like we were talking about this yesterday as well, where if you ever get to the point where you're in the entrepreneurial world and now we're living in a world where a lot of people are experiencing what it's like to be an entrepreneur because you're working from home, you're having this new schedule you actually get to examine things that you never really examined yeah. before. Cause like when you're at a desk job and you're at this corporate world, like it's hard to look in the mirror because you're just sitting next to everybody who like everyone's putting on a facade because when you're put into a box, everyone just stares at each other like, Oh, what should we do? Or what should we not do? Versus in our, like the world that I live in, yeah. it's just like everyone just be yourself. And like, that's how we're going to. So it's, it's interesting how you put that because like in my life, it's always just been about not even trying to show up and and what it, what was the word you used for it like on social media the um the way that you said it I actually liked it I don't know why you were uh, you're just talking about wanting to be better in real life no 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 when you were like you were kind of hesitant to say how you um be to be rather than oh essay uh, quam with dairy it's to be rather than to seem yeah so like it it is so much harder to just seem a certain way than it is to just like. 
And I think that's where to just be, and that's where it's been easier for me because like I went to engineering school. So like two plus two equals four. Like I just want to do everything by math. Like what is logic? And logic is like, okay, if I want to be a good person, what habits do good people have? And like, then it's easy for me and I can just like literally just follow it. But I think a lot of people overcomplicate life. And that's why I love this whole conversation around stoicism is it really like life is really simple but it's not easy. Yeah. It's really, really simple. Like be a good person, be kind to others and yourself, make enough money to support you and your family and give when you can. And like life is going to sort itself out, but it ain't easy. Like there's (laughs) like, I'm dealing with my house flooding and like trying to keep the business going and trying to make sure family and friends, like I'm still connected with them. Like, so it's not easy, but it's very simple. And I think that stoicism really simplifies that for everybody. Unfortunately, we're getting close to wrapping up. We got five more minutes because okay. I do have a call after this. How do you want to spend the last five minutes? I want to talk about this tattoo on your hands. Uh, I want you to tell this. Like, I want you to explain what it means to you because it's got a very stoic meaning for me personally. And so, but I want to hear you explain what it means to you first. Interesting. I've never had anybody throw that at me. Um, where do I start with it? So, let me start back to what tattoos mean to me in the first place because I think this will this will hit home with you even more. Yeah. Um, growing up, I've always wanted tattoos. I've had this fascination with just putting meaningful things on you to always be a reminder. I, I, I still can't pinpoint it, but I think what it really is, is I liked uniqueness. Uh, in, in a world where they try to make you everyone be the same, I found that to be the easiest way. No one could ever have the same tattoo in the same place as me and mean the same thing that it does to me and my life. And I'm t- you can ask my mom this. My mom will listen to this and verify. 14, 15 years old, like, I want tattoos. I'm going to get tattoos. Um, fortunately, I had really good parents that, one, they didn't downplay me wanting tattoos. They said, hey, wait till you're 18 and can make that better decisions. They never were like, tattoos are the devil yeah, or yeah, anything yeah. like that. So thankfully for that. But they also instilled in me, like, hey, like, life is a long thing, so don't overdo it from the start. So the first tattoo I ever got was never give up on my side, on my rib cage. And something that my, my dad's mom always used to say to me, because I, when I was a kid, for some reason, I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to be an astronaut. Like, I would just be like, I want to do all these things. And everyone would always be like, you can't do that. Like, that's impossible. You're not going to be able to do that. And she would always be like, just never give up. Like, just keep keep pressing and keep doing. You can be anything you want to be. She would come to my sports games and stuff like that. And she was actually the grandparent that passed away first um, out of mine. But I still remember like that one, it's crazy how like one thing you can remember about somebody could like change your life. And that's why I even do what I do is I remember her out of a lot of people being like, just never give up. And then my dad also would be like that as well. Just work really hard and things will sort itself out. So the first one I got at 18, I still remember walking to my calculus class after I got it, was that. So that every mo- every day that I looked in the mirror, no matter the worst of me or the best of me that I was facing, I just see never give up. So that was the first one. The next one, and sorry, this is long-winded, but it'll, it'll parlay into everything, um, was my rose on my arm. And the rose, my mom always said her favorite color was purple. She wanted a purple rose. Now, I wouldn't be where I'm at without either of my parents, but my mom sacrificed a lot of like her own self to give to me and my brother. 
we live just so that you know um i've said this on the podcast before i i lived a pretty generic suburban life where my dad worked a lot to support my family and then my mom basically supported me and my brother in all the sports we were doing all the arts all the different extracurriculars and the rose which she never got like she would say hey i want to get this or i like this or whatever so i was like you know what i'm going to take things into my own hands i'm going to get it and it wasn't colored at first and i got her initials and this rose that she always said that she wanted to get the mother's day before i left new jersey and moved out I took her on Mother's Day to go get her tattoo and I filled mine in while she got hers done on her back. So as like I moved thousands of miles away, but we have a piece of each other because I know how much she really gave. And again, my dad as well, um, which is the third tattoo. And I've actually never told him this, um, but the the one on my collarbone is effort disgraces no man. Um, And that I made up. And the reason that I said that is we're going back to like being a good person. If I try my best to be a good person and you're spiteful, that that's not on me. If I work really hard and my boss doesn't like my work, that's not on me. But that's something that they're dealing with. It, and it's, it's, I think one reason I've always been a positive person is because I look in the mirror and be like, did I truly give my best effort? And if I can say I did, I let everything else go. If I say I didn't, I then look in the mirror and say, how do I get better with that next one? And that was from seeing my dad literally throughout our childhood and, and even now. The reason that I was able to fix the, my house when it was flooding is because I'm getting on IGTV calls because he's been an engineer, he's been a mechanic. He's always, he could build a house from the ground up and it was all just effort like his own effort, never complained, would just do things. And it taught me to not really hold on to things as long as you put forth that effort. So those are the first three. And I got them like early in my 18 to 20 year old. And then I, then I held up for a while. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to wait um, until I accrue some more life. And then I'll fly through these next ones. Um, the heartbeat on my arm happened because one of my buddies was like, Hey, I'm randomly getting a tattoo. I know you're going to be the person that wants to, that'll just say, fuck it, I'll get one with you <laughs> randomly. And I was like, all right, I already know it. I'm going to get my Thrive logo. And the heartbeat is from Aaron's father who passed away in a spin class. And it's literally was a reminder that like make every heartbeat count. So every day I wake up, I see this on my forearm to make every heartbeat count. Then Aaron and I went on our honeymoon and I got the wave and the palm tree. The wave is to represent like just go with the waves. Like life is going to throw so many things at you, but like, if you can ride the wave, like the ships that don't sink are the ones that are most buoyant to the current at any given moment, they're just going to continue floating. So how can I just be malleable to life and just constantly just float rather than sink? Right. And then the palm tree was a memory of mine. I took a picture of her in, in Kauai and we're sitting by palm trees. Can, can we stop on the wave one for a second? Yeah. I'm going to give you a new association because I, I think there are times when you need to ride the waves, but I think there are also times that when the waves come, that's when you need to go deep. Because if you think about a wave, when a wave approaches, how do you avoid it? You go under the you go water on the wave. Yeah. And you go deep. So like sometimes Into the darkness. when the wave comes, you reach deep to get through it. I anyway. got you. Yeah. I, I've never heard that before. And I've, on the la- one of the last podcasts I did, uh, my buddy Matt, uh, Dr. Matt, we were talking about moderation and he came back at me with like things about moderation. So it's good. I was learning and I'll, I'll apply that to the next time I talk about this wave and how I can integrate that in. But the palm tree 
was because I took a picture of Aaron and it was like, I never want to forget this moment. Like we're on our honeymoon. I'm taking pictures of her under palm trees. So like there's that. And then the sleeve, long story short, was born in the whole family's from city of brotherly love. So I got the love symbol from Philly, got the skyline. I want to travel the world. So that's where the map comes from. The wolf is I'm a lone wolf, but I like to lead packs. So it's like, if I have to survive alone, I can, but I like to be a leader and help other people. Um, and basically push the limits of yeah. not just myself, but others around me. The succulents, one is me, one is Aaron. On the on the wolf, I also love the proverb of uh, we each have, you know, two wolves. The Native American proverb, we each have two wolves. Uh, which one do you feed? It's like the good wolf or the bad Ooh. wolf. Because um, we both have it like yeah. at any given moment. So that's another thing I guess like I can look at is just like feed the good, good side. Wolf. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the succulents are... The spiky one is me with the outgoing personality. The more reserved, detail-oriented one is Aaron, um, and we're sitting there together. And the reason I told the story of all the tattoos is, one, I've never done it. Two, I think it hits home a lot with your stoicism. Like, yeah. all mine mean the world to me. Like, they're not just thrown together. I was very particular with who I got them from, where I got them from, where they are on my body. Yeah. And I left – I had a three-quarter sleeve. I left it, let, let it go for a year or two. Um, cause I didn't necessarily know how to finish it and COVID happens and I'm like about to turn 30 and I was like, I need to finish the sleeve. This is like, I need, I need a new chapter going into my thirties and I'm like, what should I get? What should I get? And I'm doing some soul searching and I'm just like a lot of, actually I had a podcast with Emily Kigliotti. Shout out to Emily. She's in Philly right now. And she talked about the tattoo 24. Like there's only 24 hours in a day. So we're all very different, but we all only have 24 hours in the day. And I started thinking like, that's really great symbolism for like what I already have on my body, but I don't want to get 24. So what I did was I got the sunrise and the waves and then I got the nighttime, um, but it, sunset, sunrise, nighttime. So it represents basically 24 hours in a day. And I also have like the trees and the nighttime sky and then the beach representing like mountains beach because I love mountains beach. The last one, which you asked about the hand tattoo, um, which again is me stepping more into who I truly am. Whereas like people like, Oh, you got a tattoo on your hand or are you worried about this or worried about that? And it's just like, no, I'm not. And the reason being is because this means so much to me that I don't really care what anybody thinks, but I got another heartbeat on there. And most people think that like, they're always watching the time. How do I how do I speed time up to get out of work? How do I speed time up to get my degree? How do I speed time up to get married, to buy the house, to get the car? And then before you know it, we're 80 and dying if we are lucky enough to make it to that age. So what I did was I have this little water droplet, which means mindfulness. So be mindful of the time, of the amount of heartbeats that you have. So I have the clock, which the ticker is a heart, an EKG. And it's basically saying, be mindful the amount of heartbeats you have because your heartbeats are finite. Your time is infinite. Time is infinite. It'll go on forever. I'm going to die and this thing, time is going to keep going. Humans are going to keep hopefully thriving and or destroying the world. Who knows? Um, but the heartbeat is to remind myself that in any given moment, is this worth my heartbeats? And then the last thing of it is it's a ripple. So if you look at my tattoo, if you were to look at this, um, essentially what it represents is Every heartbeat I use, is it being used to have a good ripple or a bad ripple? Mm. And you'll see it fades, the clock fades into the horizon. 
The thing is, every action you take, people don't realize this. They don't know how valuable each moment of time is. Say you love this podcast, you go tell someone about it. That person then tells somebody else about it. That So that's the ripple effect. If I died and you kept, like it would still ripple and that moment of time that I had is infinite. That ripple is infinite because then that person could be like, tell their kid about it. And then that kid could tell, just like how you're reading Aurelius. Like you, did he ever think that like people are gonna be reading this for thousands and thousands of years? No, but it was the ripple. So his heartbeat was finite. He no longer exists. But what he wrote down, what he said, what he did, that ripple effect lasted forever. So it's literally just every time I stare at my hand, it reminds me in any, any given moment that like my heart starts racing and like maybe I'm getting angry or I'm getting depressed or I'm getting anxious. Like, is this worth my heartbeats? Like, is this very moment worth my heartbeats? And if it's not, I need to actively make that decision. Okay, what is going to switch in me to make this environment around me and this experience worth that heartbeat. And just like Aurelius said, like, I don't have to leave. Like I can be in a bad situation. I could be, my house could be flooding, but I could be in my mind. And I literally said this when Aaron and I were shuffling that water up, I said, just meditate for an hour and a half. Like this is going to be an hour and a half, two hours. I want you to just think positive thoughts and like, let's just get this done. You can go to that place. You can go to the beach while you're in the worst scenario if you choose to yeah choose to not be harmed by it and you won't be yeah and it's just like choose not to be the victim and if you really if your heartbeats are finite you don't ever want to be the victim yeah yeah i'll be super quick because i know we're out of time but um one is i have this embarrassing obsession with like the personification of time and and the book that i'm trying to write effectively making it so that it's like, you know, if time had messages to deliver to the world, having seen all that has been and all that will be, what are those messages that he would want to deliver to the world? And understanding that it's not the first time he's done it. You know, I like to think that time visited Marcus Aurelius on the frigid battlegrounds of ancient Rome. And like, that is who Marcus was channeling. Right. And so I see this roped figure of time often. Like a lot of times when I'm writing, I do this exercise of closing my eyes and like I will like see this like robed figure like hunched in a cave over a desk with like a quill and like parchment, like writing something. And then it's like I'll like approach and then I'll like hand me a scroll and I'll like look at it and like that's what I'll write, whatever I see on that thing. Anyway, I've always been obsessed with it. And and so that was like one of those things. I remember when I first saw that tattoo, I was like, mm, I'm exactly where I need to be. Because it was like, if my muse had a form, I think it would be time. And so um, that's one thing I want to say. The other thing, just quickly, what it means about 18 things to me, the idea of an hourglass in time generally. But the most powerful and meaningful one is when I was going into my senior year of college, me and my best friend, best friend that lives in San Antonio, now married to my cousin. We were in a car driving on back gravel roads. Basically, car started to slide and I flipped the car, landed upside down in a ditch. Neither of us were wearing our seatbelts. We flipped places in midair in the car so that he ended up on the passenger side. I ended up on the driver's side. I have a scar right here and I have a scar right here where glass was in my arm. No other injuries. He had a concussion. No other injuries. No reason we should have survived that. 
And if it would have been like a week earlier, that ditch was full of water. So we wouldn't have survived it. In that experience, like every time I replay it in my head, my heart starts to beat really fast because I remember exactly the feeling. You can't describe the feeling of like being suspended in midair, starting to hear all of the windows breaking, passing out, and then like being aware, but not really being aware of your body being tossed like a rag doll, like while this is all happening. Anyway, there are these lines and meditations in Seneca that talk about, there's a Latin word, uh, subsicivum. You can add tempus at the beginning of it if you want, but it translates to extra time or bonus time. And, then, and Marcus says, you know, basically pretend like you died and the rest is bonus time. And so for that line, particular for me, I often think like, what if I did die that day? There's no reason I should be here. And at this point, regardless of what happens, it's all extra time. It's like on my darkest days, when I'm feeling the worst, the most anxious, it's just like I go back to that hour. I have an hourglass that sits next to me in my, in my desk. And it's just like whenever I get caught up in anything that's happening, I just look at it and I'm like, man. And it'll cause me to cry often. It was just like it's all extra time. Even when life sucks. It's all bonus time, man. But that's so that's what it means to me. So I lo- like it's part of the reason I love being around you because I look at that thing every time and it just sends about eighteen associations in my head, all of which are positive, and I'm just like, yeah. And that's we're gonna end there because that was super powerful, and, and now it gives me a new attachment to it. Is I think the best way to live is to realize you can die, and to cherish at every given moment. And like, that's what my tattoos mean to me. It's just like, I have this one life and they're a reminder every day because your mind is a tricky beast. Like I can't stop the first thought, but I can change the second thought. And the easiest way for me to, I'm a visual learner. The easiest way for me to change the second thought was tattoos. That at every given moment, I have something on me that's so powerful that I can change through action how I'm feeling. And I think a lot of people, again, like you're never gonna, it's very hard to change the first thoughts. You can change them through habits, but you're always just gonna have a bum day or wake <laughs> up and, and have a certain feeling or s- someone's gonna cut you off or you're gonna get in a car accident. It's gonna, you, it's human nature. It's a good thing that you have the ego that causes you that, but you don't wanna stay in that to the point that it affects you. Yeah, uh, the old, like, uh, not Martin Luther King Jr., the, the old Martin Luther, uh, he, his quote is, um, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from making a nest can't stop the first thought but you can stop the second thought hell yeah all right we're wrapping up there but before we do yeah two things i gotta ask you one where can people find you at where can they connect with you the yeah so um instagram it's at noah heisman three twitter it's the same handle at noah heisman three the oasis is just the o-a-s-y-s-s dot com um and then the oasis project uh is the podcast oh yeah and last thing we have before we wrap up is try to say this in under a minute. What does it mean to you to thrive? Ooh, yeah. Um, to thrive to me means to, okay, there's this idea, Nietzsche, I'll go back to Nietzsche. Um, this will be under a minute. He has this idea of eternal recurrence. And so he, he paints this idea of you should live life in a way such that if you had to repeat it, you'd be okay. So if your life eternally recurred, if it was stuck on loop, would you be okay with it? And if not, there's something that needs to change. So to thrive to me means to live life 
as if I'd be okay repeating it. Wow. Hell yeah. I'm going to be rocking and rolling after this. <laughs> My biggest takeaway, uh, man, there were so many from this podcast. I just want to thank you for hopping on here and spending some time with me conversing. My biggest takeaway, to be honest, would have to be what you just said, which usually I pick something up throughout it, but you you just changed my mind with, because the simplicity, I talked about it earlier. That is so simple. Would you be okay with your life playing on repeat? And if not, go change it. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. I really, really appreciate all of you listening. If you ever want to connect with me, you know where to find me. Please reach out. Thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.